Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a light-hearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Find The Dungeon Cast anywhere you get podcasts or on YouTube. This episode of Homestead on the Corner was brought to you by our supporters on Patreon. Shirley Casperson, Virginia Spots, Jesse Steele, Sam Taylor, Mike and Don Van Winkle, Neil Covert, Aries Jimenez, Holly Harmon, and Accursed. If you'd like to support the show, then please go to patreon.com slash homesteadcorner. For as little as $1 a month, you get early access to all new episodes, a special patron-only podcast, and exclusive behind-the-scenes content. Good morning, everyone. This is Trevor Van Winkle, and you're listening to Homestead on the Corner. I think we all know that moment. You've worked at some goal for weeks, months, or even years. Whether you really wanted to or not, you've poured huge amounts of sometimes literal blood, sweat, and tears into accomplishing something, and you're more than halfway there. You can see the finish line getting closer and closer, and you think that if you've endured all the little victories and defeats so far, you can beat this last hurdle, no problem. But then you start to get closer. The obstacles keep getting larger, more frequent, and suddenly you feel exhausted, like this should all have been done by now. You've worked hard enough to earn it twice over, but it's still not in your grasp. Something's just not clicking. And then an unexpected setback hits you out of the blue, an illness, an injury, some kind of major disruption. Suddenly the finish line doesn't look so close, and you stop moving towards it. Progress grinds to a halt, and it feels like you'll never make it, despite all you've overcome to get to that point. I think this kind of thing happens in about 90% of all human endeavors. Whether it's Murphy's Law or some fundamental part of the human psyche, we tend to break ourselves when we're almost to our goal. More than half of all car accidents happen less than 5 miles from home. Most major snowboard and skiing accidents seem to happen on the last run, just before you're about to call it a day. And every time I've injured myself running or hiking, it's been from overdoing it in the second half. I think we feel energized when we cross the midway point, and when we see the finish line hove into view, we push ourselves even harder. After all, we got through that first half with energy to spare. So why not, to borrow a phrase from those aforementioned snowboarders, send it. It seems that the same is true of our protagonists. Having reached the deepest, darkest, and most dangerous point of the extraordinary world and gained the boon that will allow them to defeat their antagonist, the protagonist turns towards home with renewed vigor. Whether it was a false victory that gave them an unearned sense of confidence, or a false defeat that made them realize how far they still have to go, the midpoint gives them the momentum to speed up into the second half of the narrative, until they crash and burn under the forces of antagonism still surrounding them, and come to a screeching halt. Here, at rock bottom, is where the most important decisions of all are made. The ones that will determine once and for all if this story is heroic or tragic, and decide whether your protagonist will achieve their want, their need, both or neither. Welcome to the Crisis. 
In The Art of Dramatic Writing, Lajos Egri defines crisis as, quote, a state of things in which a decisive change one way or the other is impending, end quote. The word crisis immediately brings to mind calamity, destruction, and danger, but another common synonym for it is change, and that's the definition that is most important in storytelling. It is the moment in your story when fundamental change is not only possible, but necessary. It is the moment where all the things that haven't been working because of the protagonist's fundamental need finally come crashing into their problems and stop their forward momentum. Blake Snyder refers to this moment as the all-is-lost story beat in Save the Cat, and says, quote, It's where the old world, the old character, the old way of thinking, dies, and it clears the way for the fusion of thesis, what was, and antithesis, the upside-down version of what was, to become synthesis, that being a new world, a new life. End quote. It is this critical failure point that leads to the crisis, the moment where what has always worked for the protagonist stops working and they finally reap the consequences of it. In Rain Man, it's Charlie Babbitt's selfish, isolated, and ruthless personality that gets him in trouble, and at the crisis moment, he finds himself deeper in debt than ever before because of his shady business dealings. In The Dark Knight, Bruce Wayne's inability to understand the Joker's illogical and chaotic mind leads to the death of Rachel Dawes when he fails to realize the Joker lied about her location. In the Doctor Who episode Heaven Sent, it is the moment in Room 12 when the Doctor finally realizes what he has to do to escape, and the fact that he's unwilling to really face death and eternity to break through the wall. In each of these moments, their progress towards their goal is arrested completely, and they are faced with two irreconcilable choices, upon which rests their entire future, or even the future of their world. In the words of John York from Into the Woods, a five-act journey into structure, quote, The crisis occurs when the hero's final dilemma is crystallized, the moment when they are faced with the most important question of the story. What kind of person are they? End quote. No matter how fantastical or plot-heavy your narrative is, no matter how complex the cast or how sprawling the story world, this, I believe, is the one question that all stories are trying to answer. Just what kind of person is this? Or, perhaps more accurately, just what kind of person am I? After all, the structure of every good story is built around introducing you to a protagonist or protagonists, letting you live in their shoes, generating empathy with them, showing you what kinds of choices they make under increasing amounts of pressure, and generally trying to get you to see a part of yourself in that person. No character is exactly like us, of course, but I believe that we still see a major part of ourselves in the protagonists of the stories that really stick with us. By using the crisis moment to really interrogate who this person is and whether they are able to change, you ask the reader to empathize with that decision moment and ask themselves the same question. I've talked a lot in the show about how stories influence and teach us about life, growth, and change, and nowhere do I think that's clearer than at the final crisis moment of the story. Not all of us have had huge victories, massive conflicts, or mountaintop experiences, but we've all felt like we've hit the bottom of the barrel at least once in our lives. We've all faced critical choices that have defined our path moving forward, Go to college or stay home. Take this job or keep looking for a better one. Ask this person out or just stay friends. Whether they really felt like choices at the time, they were. And in those moments of crisis, we played a game of risk assessment and decided to take one path or another. Life is made of choices with consequences for people. And so are stories. And the biggest choice for your protagonist? 
bigger even than crossing the threshold into the unknown or choosing to pursue their goal in the first place is what they do when their best laid plans have fallen apart and they have everything to lose. Or, in the words of Doctor Who, in the deepest pit, the darkest hour, without hope, without witness, without reward. Those are the decisions that define your protagonist, your story, and if you write them well enough, maybe even your readers' lives. How do you set up your story's crisis to do this, though? How do you find those moments and decisions that will define your story in such a way that they fit the protagonist and reveal true character? As is clear even from the three examples I've listed before, crisis moments must be tailored especially for every story. There is really no such thing as a one-size-fit-all crisis. The reason for this is in the very definition of crisis. It is a moment of loss in critical decision brought about by a fundamental flaw of a specific character. In a story about a different protagonist, the crisis moment would either leave the hero unaffected or completely break their spirit. The crisis must be created specifically for the protagonist's strength of will, personal history, level of stakes, personality, weaknesses, and journey within the text of the narrative in order to work. By examining these traits, knowing the specific flaw that will bring about the crisis, and understanding just how much punishment your protagonist can take without breaking, you can push them to their utter limits in a way that is emotionally memorable and effectively sets up the climax and resolution. To illustrate this, let's compare two effective crisis moments and see how this technique is used by Edgar Wright in two of his films, Scott Pilgrim vs. The World and Hot Fuzz. In Scott Pilgrim, the protagonist, Scott Pilgrim, is an awkward, apathetic, and lonely teenager who falls in love with Ramona Flowers, but discovers that he has to battle her seven evil exes in a variety of video game-inspired battles. Don't ask. He defeats six of them, but when he goes to face the final boss, armed with the power of love, don't ask, just watch the film and you'll see, he's killed and banished into limbo, in the equivalent of a game over screen. There, he talks with Ramona and realizes his mistakes, then almost gives in to despair before realizing he picked up an extra life earlier in the game, and uses it to return to the fight with the power of self-respect. Again, don't ask. It's a weird, wonderful oddball of a movie. On the other hand, Hot Fuzz takes place in a much more realistic, if just as absurd, story world, where Nicholas Angel, a workaholic, self-serious, and friendless cop, is reassigned to a small English village by his jealous co-workers. He's bored to tears despite his partner Danny's attempts to get him to kick back and take things easy by showing him buddy cop films. But soon, a serial killer begins to off members of the community, disguising the killings as accidents. Following a twisting series of clues, Angel discovers that the killings were committed by a neighborhood watch association spearheaded by the chief of police, in order to ensure that the town continues to win the coveted Village of the Year award. Danny, who is also an unwitting member of the Neighborhood Watch, pretends to kill Angel, but instead smuggles him out of town and asks him to leave it alone. However, inspired by Danny's love of buddy cop films, Angel returns loaded to bear and recruits Danny to help him take down the chief and stop the killings. These are two very different movies in pretty much every regard, from setting to characters to tone and subgenre, even if both are comedies from the same director. 
However, they do have several major similarities when it comes to their crisis moments. Both are brought about by a flaw in the central character. Scott isn't strong enough to face up against the last evil ex, so he tries to depend on his love for Ramona to save him, while Angel refuses to work with others and ends up outmatched when he tries to face the WNA by himself. In many ways, the two characters have the opposite flaw, and if their places were reversed, they probably would have come out of each other's crises just fine. That, however, would be the textbook definition of an anticlimax, and Wright gave the two characters exactly the right low points for their stories. Both crises have another major similarity. They both feature a moment of supposed death for the protagonist. In Save the Cat, Blake Snyder refers to this idea of death at the crisis as the whiff of death. Into the Woods by John York says, quote, The crisis is a kind of death. Someone close to the hero dies, the heroes themselves appear to die, or more commonly, all hope passes away. End quote. In John Truby's The Anatomy of Story, he says, quote, This is also the moment when the hero visits death. In myth stories, the hero goes down to the underworld and foresees his own future in the land of the dead. In more modern stories, the visit to death is psychological." End quote. All of these stories seem to be saying the same thing. Just before the hero wins, they have to symbolically, and sometimes literally, die. This is a feature of storytelling that can be found in everything from the Bible to Harry Potter to, yes, even Hot Fuzz. Something usually dies or comes extremely close to dying in this moment, but in all cases it is merely a symbol for what really dies in this moment. The protagonist's hopes for a better future, for victory, or for escape from their circumstances and troubles. Obi-Wan dies at the crisis of Star Wars, seemingly stealing Luke's hope of becoming a Jedi and defeating the Emperor. In The Martian, an engineering failure kills Mark Watney's potato crop, his only source of food and his one real chance at surviving long enough to be rescued. And sorry to use the same example twice, but in Heaven Sent, the Doctor literally visits the dead and foresees his future, as he talks with the memory-slash-ghost of his companion Clara in his mind, when he realizes the only way out of his prison is several billion years of punching a hole through a wall. How can this moment be so powerful and so common at the same time? Sure, we can all think of ham-fisted versions of this idea that were clearly just an attempt to follow the formula, and I've personally written plenty of those in the past. But when this moment is handled with even a modicum of competency, it is typically the most memorable, heart-wrenching, and powerful moment in the entire narrative. Why is that? It all comes down to the reason that structure is so important in storytelling. The reason I've spent the last 11 episodes talking it through piece by piece just to get to this point. Life and story are both largely defined by cycles of contrast. Day and night, summer and winter, joy and sorrow, birth and death, creation and destruction. Day by day, and even hour by hour, our view of the world is shaped by shifts in our situation. And when we come to stories, we fully expect to see the same kinds of shifts put together into a narrative with clear design and progression. And, as Robert McKee says in Story, quote, A story is a series of acts that builds to a last act climax or story climax which brings about absolute and irreversible change. End quote. Storytelling is about creating a metaphor for life that pushes the known structures of our experiences to their logical extremes, and the most negative point of life is always death. Whether that's a literal death or a living spiritual death for the character, a protagonist who goes through hell and comes out the other side is one who has been tested to their limit and endured. There is nothing more you could reasonably throw at them, they've survived it all. 
but only by carefully structuring your narrative beats can you logically bring your protagonist to a place of personal death. And for this reason, the storytelling form has taken this shape over the last few thousand years. There are other ways to reach this point, of course, and an infinite number of variations on this timeless theme, but the idea remains the same. Death touches the protagonist's life at the crisis, and they must choose either to let the old self die or face total obliteration. And now we come to what's quickly becoming a recurring segment on this show, especially as we close in on the climax in the third act turn. What about tragedies? Well, as with the midpoint, the crisis in a tragedy is largely the mere image of one in a positive story arc. As I've said before, tragedies share a lot of the same beats as more conventional heroic stories, just reversed. As the climax of a tragedy leads to a negative resolution, the all-is-lost moment of a heroic narrative typically turns into an all-is-found moment in a tragedy. In King Lear, the eponymous ex-ruler is reunited with his daughter Cordelia, seems to recover at least part of his sanity, and joins with the French army ready to help him retake the throne. In Siren's Gold, Captain Barrett seems to have gained everything he wanted at the crisis moment. A way to escape the island, riches beyond his wildest dreams, and even, perhaps, a budding relationship with Anne. In the Doctor Who episode Face the Raven, Clara and the Doctor, who have been trying to prove their friend Riggsy is innocent of a murder, discover that the supposed victim is still alive and being held in stasis. They have the proof they need to exonerate him, but it's all for naught, as Clara made a reckless, selfless choice earlier in the episode to try and save Riggsy from execution, and ends up killed when the situation spirals out of the character's control. It again comes down to value shifts and contrasts in your storytelling. By bringing a character to their lowest point just before they rise up out of it and win, you make their victory satisfying, well-earned and rousing for the reader. By letting your characters have the solution to all their problems in hand just before it slips away forever, you make their failure cathartic, heart-wrenching, and gutting for the reader. Structure is many things. A reflection of our lived experiences, a way of crafting a satisfying narrative, but most of all, the best tool in the writer's toolbox for increasing the effectiveness of major narrative beats. Having big dramatic moments scattered randomly through a story means nothing if there's no sense of progression, escalation, or contrast between them. If the ending of your story comes down to things were okay and they got better, or things were bad and then they got worse, that story may be memorable for being well-written and having interesting characters, but we didn't get to see them at their lowest or highest points, just somewhere in the middle. In other words, we know about as much about them as we know about people we spent two hours at the DMV with. Crisis, Climax, and Resolution are all part of a 1-2-3 combination that only works if each moment hits a different part of our emotions and thoughts in a way that no other moment in the story has before. Structure them accordingly, and your story will take root in the reader's mind and stay there long after the last page turns, the curtain falls, and the screen fades to black. Thank you for listening to this episode of Homestead on the Corner. 
Today's Crisis Point Critique was written and produced by Trevor Van Winkle and featured music from Lauren Baker. Want to see me use these ideas in a real-life story? Our new fiction podcast, The Sheridan Tapes, is now available on all podcasting platforms. To find out where to listen to it, head over to thesheridantapes.com for show links and more info. In the meantime, follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Trevor underscore VW for updates on both of our shows, and check out patreon.com slash homesteadcorner if you want to support our little production team. Next episode, it's time for the fireworks as Act 2 comes to an explosive end in the climactic moments of the story. New episodes of this podcast are released every Wednesday at 2pm Pacific Standard Time, so be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it. Well, that's about all for now. From the homestead in the corner, have a great day and keep writing. Are you thinking about getting into Dungeons & Dragons? Maybe you're looking to expand your horizons as a DM or a player. If that's the case, then it's time for you to check out The Dungeon Cast, the best D&D podcast out there that helps you passively learn all about the game just by listening. Join co-hosts Will and Brian as they break down the lore of a rich multiverse 50 years in the making in a light-hearted and beginner-friendly way. They cover everything from character creation options to tips for dungeon masters. There's something for everyone, no matter how long you've been playing TTRPGs. Get inspired while learning all about the unique planes of existence. Get the in-depth knowledge you need to help your combat encounters feel impactful, or learn about the origins and pantheons of every race and class the game offers. No stone is left unturned as every edition of the game is explored and explained in a way that benefits players of all different levels of experience. You can expand your TTRPG horizons in a way that's as entertaining as it is educational just by listening. All you have to do is go to your favorite podcast app or YouTube and search for The Dungeon Cast.